I used to go to gym, now I go to church. <laughs> we had a guy, went to his doctor and pulled a hamstring, pulled a calf muscle. The doctor said, gee, how did you do that? He said, um, I was in church. The doctor said, in church? You pull a calf muscle in church? Yeah, well, we were dancing. He said, look, at your age, I would uh, advise against that because it's obviously quite a wild dance. So dancing and me don't go because when I go up, some parts come down, and when I come down, other parts go up, and it's just, you don't want to know about that. <laughs> like when you put your clothes on in the morning, you've stood in front of the mirror, you think, thank God for shirts. <laughs> and thank God for his robe of righteousness that covers all our imperfections so that we can walk through the door there and find acceptance. Beautiful. Jesus did it all. Amen? It's beautiful. It's a wonderful truth. And uh, I pray that uh, God will help us this morning. I'm Jeff. I'm from the Weinberg Congregation, as you heard. I am uh, with uh, Chad's brother, Ross. I submit to him. He's younger than my youngest son, but we get on. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, he's a... We do, we really do. Um, years ago, when I, when I first linked with Joshua Generation, Mervis, has Mervis been here? Prophetic guy. I'm new, brand new in this whole thing. I don't know anybody. I'm sitting there minding my own business. Mervis says, oh, are you Jeff? Yeah. He said, God's given me a song to sing over you. Well, that's nice. And uh, two and a half years, two years previous to that, I'd lost my wife. So he starts singing this song. And he says, God is going to give you another. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> You've got it wrong. And then he said this, and he will be a brother. God is going to give you another, but he will be like a brother. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to get a brother. And I sincerely mean this, and um, I sincerely mean it. Ross has become that for me. He's a remarkable young guy. He's not perfect. But uh, I used to be, now I'm conceited. Um, now, Ross is just a great guy, so I'm very happy to be in his congregation. I've been up in the Southern Cape, it seems like, forever. Um, I started, what was the first Wednesday in this month? What are we now? March, eh? I went to Otsuren. I was in Otsuren for the weekend. Then I came back, I was in Hartenbos. Then I was in Mossel Bay last weekend. And then I went to Willowmore. Um, on Wednesday, and then I came back here, and I'm going home after this. So I'm very happy to be with you. I really mean that. It's wonderful. I'm going to speak to you this morning about getting to know the Holy Spirit. Because the first person to be neglected in the church is often the third person. You know, we've got God the Father, God the Son, and often it's God the Holy Scripture instead of God the Holy Spirit. Now, we must obviously have the Scripture. It's always important. But we neglect the work that the Spirit of God does in us. And because of excess, because of, you know, the Bible says they're the fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 6. And unfortunately, when have, there are excesses of the Spirit, those excesses produce fruit cakes. And there are lots of fruit cakes in God's church. Because they've abused the fruit of the Spirit. They're full of nuts and raisins. And um, 
I say, you know, they should go to the Kellogg's Christian Center because Pastor Aubrand can look after them. Um, they, you know what I'm saying? So we, we neglect what the Holy Spirit wants to do because there's been excess in some circles of God's church. And so we rather just back off. I'm not going there. I'm not having any of that. This guy brought a friend to church, and uh, they got split up because the church was full, and his friend sat here, and he sat there, and the friend wasn't really very interested in church, and after about five minutes into the preach, he dozed off, and his friend could see from across, and he started snoring, man, and it was very embarrassing, so he took his shoe off and just went, flicked it across, and it hit the guy on the head, and he woke up, and he said, Hit me again, I can still hear him, <laughs> the preacher. So I'm, I'm hoping that you guys can stay awake this morning. And I'm going to put myself in a very difficult position. You're very slow. It's a long weekend. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've been on the road for three weeks. I think this is the 14th time I've shared something. I'm going to put myself in a, in a, in a challenging position. I'm going to give you a quote from a guy called A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, and he says this, a major hindrance for God's people is a hardness of heart caused by men without the Spirit who preach about the Spirit. So I'm just praying that God, your hearts don't get hard, that at the end of this you'll think, actually, no, this was good for me. So the Holy Spirit is introduced to us in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and I don't know where it's going to appear. There it is. Thank you very much. Where are you now? Oh, there you're on the floor. <laughs> These modern things. I still use books because I like to, you know, read the thing, and I like writing. And, you know, now everybody uses iPads and, you know, iPhones. Don't get out your Bible. Get out your iPhone. Get out your iPad. Get out whatever. Get out your Bible. Smell the pages. Hallelujah. See all the old guys are with me. Hallelujah. Come on, you young men. He's introduced us. Look what it says there. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And if you, and I can't dwell there too long because it's, it's already, I must just check the time. Is there a clock in here? Two o'clock. Glory. Okay. The, in, my, the, in the church I planted in Musenberg, they said we must put a clock in the back, you know, to help me. And one old guy said, he needs a calendar, he doesn't need a clock. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go forever. <laughs> it, you, you must try and imagine there was nothing happening. And then the Spirit of God began to move. And things began to form. And things began to happen. And God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit created all that we see. Because, you see, every new beginning in God, every single new beginning in God is motivated by and through the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9, your conversion, my conversion. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So actually, we shouldn't ask people, are you a Christian? Because in South Africa, we think we're Christians because 
We've got a heritage of church. We should ask people this question. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Like Paul asked the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And what did the answer was? Some said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, in some sectors of God's church, that's almost like it is today. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Where's God the Father? If we can separate them. Now, not a loaded question. Come on, you're the youth leader. If you don't know this, you're getting shot. (laughs) He's on the throne. Yeah, he's fine. (laughs) Where's Jesus? The Bible says he's at the right hand. So if you read the Old Testament, then it's, it's, it's a lot about what Father, the God, Father God does. It's all about the Father. Then Jesus appears. Jesus makes God known. He, he comes and lives on the planet, and he dwells amongst us. And um, in, the, in, the, in the message, it says he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Come and dwelt among us, okay? He was with us. He, made them. he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The writer to the Hebrews says he's the exact representation of the being of the Father. So Jesus represented the Godhead on the planet. Then he said to the disciples, after three years of ministry, I'm going. I'm leaving. But I'm going to give someone just like me. Just like me. But here's the the blessing. He's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. So if Jesus was on the planet now, he'd be in Cape Town. And that's why I'll be heading home. And sorry for you guys. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? The Spirit was given, and He doesn't waft around in the atmosphere. He comes to indwell people like you and me. And so He's the one. He's the one. So at our conversion experience, He's the one that came. Because Jesus said when He comes, He, 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 the Spirit, will convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. And I got convicted in this town. In 1974, my wife got saved, my late wife, in the little Baptist church. And I got so convicted, I felt so guilty, I started tithing. (laughs) Because I thought, if I give money, that'll take my guilt away. They took my money and I kept the guilt. (laughs) But God, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. I was unaware that it's the Spirit that was beginning to speak to me. So every new initiative... When God comes to someone who doesn't know him and he speaks to them, it's by the Spirit. He begins to stir their hearts. He is the key. He's the key, the Holy Spirit, that unlocks the doors into the supernatural, into the spiritual realm. Now, don't think of the, the spiritual realm as all kind of, you know, some, some Pentecostal churches use the Holy Ghost. And you think, you know, shirt, I mean sheet, eyes, here comes the Holy Ghost. I don't know why they call him a ghost. I think because they saw the the disciples said when Jesus was walking on the water, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, no, no, that's me. You remember that? He's the key. Without him, without him, it's like a blind man going into most, one of the most beautiful palaces you've ever seen in your life. And the blind man walks in there and he can sense the beauty. He can, he can feel it. There's something there. He, just, he doesn't know what it is, but people have told him. And he's trying to visualize, but he can't see. And it's magnificent. And it's just ornate. And, 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 and he wants to, but he can't. A little kid of 10 
wanders through there, and he doesn't give it a second look. Yeah, it's not bad. You know, where's the thing I can play? You know, my iPad, I want to play games. This, it's okay, but it's not great. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he, he, pray, he prays for them. And I've, I've written out those prayers in chapter 1 and chapter 3 and made them personal. And I keep it on my fridge, because as you can see, I'm often in my fridge. And, and this, <laughs> this is what he prays. He said, I keep asking. I keep asking. So I, in my prayer, say, Lord, I'm, I will keep asking you. Give me the Spirit. And it says the in the, in the original. Where is it? Ephesians 1.17. Our lady sleeping. Hallelujah. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, listen, may give you the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Now, the, the, the blind guy, he, 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 needs, he needs revelation because we're blinded to these magnificent things that God has got in store for us. He needs revelation. So you see, we believe the Christian life is believing something, then we see it. I've, I believed, then I began to see I have to see before I believe. No, that's not Christianity. That's, that's the world. Show it to me. No, no, no. Believe, because from believing to seeing in that gap is a thing called faith. That's, that's where faith is. I don't understand, but I'm going to believe. And as I believe, the Spirit of God begins to reveal. And the blind man needs that. He needs revelation to see what God has done. We, we've, we, only, we only see in part. You know those cars? I don't know if they're young. They're, I'm sure they're in Cape Town. And the Oaks have got, you know, blackened windows. And then they pull up next to the traffic light and you look and you can't see. And then they put the window down. And you can see in. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. It's like that. You've seen girls doing their lipstick in front of the car, and then they put the window down. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's embarrassing. I didn't know you were inside because you can't see. God, God opens our eyes by the Spirit, and we begin to get revelation. And we see the magnificence and the beauty of who Jesus is. Because you see, the Spirit is going to glorify Jesus in our lives. Jesus is beyond compare. No, we don't just want Jesus. I want Jesus by the Spirit so that I know him. The little boy needs wisdom. Because he's as thick as two planks. He runs through the place, doesn't see a thing. Sometimes we come into the presence of God and we don't acknowledge that he's actually in the house. Or we have a devotional time and you feel something. We need wisdom. God, is this you? Is this the devil? Is this me? We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we must know him better. We must have both in order to get to know him. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 14 or 12, I'm not sure. 12, I think, 12. It says this, by faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. I didn't give it to you, lover. You won't find it. Um, sorry, this just happens. So by faith and patience. Traditionally, people have got real faith, we believe. I'm sorry, they've got patience. We're waiting. We're sitting on our blessed assurance. We'll wait. 
God is going to do it. The charismatics have got faith but no patience. We want it all and we want it now. And we make the Ishmael error. And Ishmaels get born into the church and into our lives. And the Bible says of Ishmaels, they're like wild donkeys. And if you know what a donkey is, it's stubborn. It's so stubborn. I'm a farm boy. My parents farmed in the Grahamstown district. Donkeys are shockers. You get on that thing, and if it decides it's not going, you can do what you like. It won't go. Stubborn. And God doesn't want us to be stubborn Christians. He wants us to be Isaac Christians. Isaac, the son of laughter, full of joy. Remember when we used to sing in the old church, joy, 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 with joy my heart is ringing, joy, joy. And there was no joy, you know, in my heart there grows a lemon tree. And whatever it was, it's just, it's just, there was nothing, there was no life. And God wants to bring life. The Spirit brings life. Life. You know, you've been to churches where it's a good preach. There's nothing that's wrong. It's just, it, but it's, it's, it's a bit droog, you know. It's like a savannah. You know, it's dry, but you can drink it. It's that... It's that kind of preach. We, we want life in the preach. We want hope. We want to leave thinking, yes, I can do this. Because the Spirit of God is in me. Amen? So the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning. In the Old Testament, He came upon particular people at particular times for particular occasions. He'd visit. You read the Old Testament. And, you know, especially in Ezekiel, the Spirit, was a, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And God, he did a task. The amazing thing, in the new covenant, he came to stay. He came to live. He came to stay. This is what it says in John 1, 32. If my lady's with me on the floor, over there. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me this. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen this, and I testify. Now, you can imagine on Jesus' baptism day. And that wasn't in Mark. If you read Mark's gospel, Mark's very to the point. You know, it gives no genealogy. It's just into the point. And he says this. When Jesus was baptized, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descended. And it almost paints a picture of the eagerness of the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus. And after he came to Jesus, Jesus began his ministry. Now, let me explain to you. If you, if you think Jesus couldn't do his ministry without the work of the Holy Spirit, we, we dead people trying to think we can do the work of God without the Spirit. Oh, man, there's so many dead works because they're without life, the life of God by the Spirit. John, Jesus said of John the Baptist in Luke 7, 28, I don't think I gave it to you. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, look here. If I met John the Baptist today and he said, come for a meal, I'd say, look, I've had enough. Because he's eating locusts and wild honey. And you go and sit on a log and you dip a locust in honey and he said, it's delish, bro. And he's dressed in camel hair. He's an odd bod. 
Amongst prophets, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist did no miracles. Not one miracle. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He gave it to them. You brood of vipers. In other words, you snakes. Whitewashed sepulchers. John the Baptist gave it to them. Why did Jesus say, among the prophets, no one greater than John the Baptist? Piet. How's it, bro? He's in Weinberg with me. I've just seen him. <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah, I'm glad you're concentrating. That's wonderful. Just set the example, Bruce. Set the example. You know why? You know why John the Baptist is the greatest? Because he ushered in the age of the Spirit. That's how important this age is in Jesus' book. He ushered in the age of the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit, the ushering in the age of the Spirit, is, you know, we all fall down and, you know, we, whatever we do. If that was the case, we'd play ring-a-ring-a rosies, we'd all fall down, you wouldn't have to listen to me, and we could all go home. But there's a life that God wants to bring to us, a life. Life, confidence in Jesus, boldness, speaking, encouraging, motivating. The Holy Spirit is the supreme gift of the new covenant. He is the ultimate gift of the new covenant. Do you have him? Do you know you have him living on the inside of you? I, I want to encourage you. If, you, if you're unsure, you, you must make sure. Maybe at the end of the meeting we can talk. But you must know, I've got him. He's not it. It's him. He's God. He's God. You don't say Jesus. You don't say it. When, when, it, when it was crucified. You say when he was crucified. Not when it comes, when He comes, the Holy Spirit. He's personal. He's God. He wants to do it. So I said every new beginning with God is motivated by the Spirit, even creation, even your and my salvation. It says this at, in, in, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, especially verse 5. Um, where are we? Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews under, from every nation under heaven. Now on the day of Pentecost, the disciples didn't know what to expect. You've got to understand that. Jesus just told them to go and wait. Now, here's the key. The disciples waited for him. They waited for him because he hadn't yet come. He hadn't yet been poured out because why Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. They're waiting for him. He's here now. We wait on him. We can't go to a meeting and say, oh, Lord, please come. He's here. We wait on him. We learn how to wait on him. We don't have to wait for him. Hallelujah. In Jesus' time, when Jesus was born, they didn't wait for him after he was born. They waited on him. You with me? So we wait on the Holy Spirit. wait on him. He comes to minister to us. He comes to speak to us. So on that day, the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Spirit, it says, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So he came and he visited the Jewish people. And we know what happened. And Peter sang a song. When he came out of that room or that house, wherever he was, and the song was, I'm not drunk as you suppose, I'm just filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the song Peter was singing, because people were saying, they're drunk. And he said, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Have you ever asked, have you ever been approached by a drunk who asks you for money? And you say to him, listen, Blue, I've got nothing, but have you got a couple of bob for me? 
And he'll say, geez, I don't know. Let me have a look. They are so generous. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. Drunks, they've got no scum. Yeah, look, let me feel. I don't know. Pulls out a half a stompy. No, I'm not a smoker. Okay, sorry. But they're generous. And so when you get drunk in the spirit, we want that because then we can take your money. Do you understand? That's why I'm preaching in George. I'm joking. I'm joking. I see something. I'm leaving. <laughs> but it, it gives, it takes away those inhibitions. Drunks don't have inhibitions. They're always apologetic. They bump it in. Sorry, bro. Sorry. I'm sorry. Man. It's just, they, they're not, they were drunk in, with the life of God. And pre Peter preaches. And two nights before, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. But then he gets empowered. And then we know the story. We all want to be Peters. But so it comes on the God-fearing Jews. Then in Acts chapter 10, look at this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. It was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously. He gave, oh, sorry, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been given or poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So you know the story of Peter. Peter's pressing problem was that he fell asleep. If you read the New Testament, Peter, in every, on often occasions, he's, he's dossing. Can you pray with me? One hour, Peter, now I'm sleeping. He goes to Cornelius' house. He has a vision. He's dossing on the top of the roof there in other situations. So Peter is God's man. Peter's filled with the Spirit. He gets a vision to go to a Gentile home. Completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And he'll tell you, if you read this scripture, I can't go there. He, he, God leads him to go to this guy Cornelius' house. And while Peter is still speaking, the Spirit of God falls on those people. But Peter gets into trouble. Because the other disciples come and they say, no, bro, Draki Swami, you can't, you, can't, you can't go. How can you go to that house? They're Gentiles, my bro. You can't go there. So in Acts chapter 11, Peter has to explain himself. And in chapter 11, 1 to 3, it says, The apostles and the brothers heard that the Gentiles had also received the word. So when Peter went up Jerusalem, the, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's sacrilege. You cannot do that. Where are we? Verse, what's the next one? Yeah, 15. Thanks. He says, so he says to them, as I began to speak, and he tells them what happened. The Holy Spirit came on them, and he tells them the story. Then look at verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. <laughs> I get quite emotional at this point. You see, this, this was a racial problem. This wasn't a political problem. This was a racial problem. And Peter hit it head on because God had spoken to him. And the way it was resolved was they said, Peter said, the spirit that was poured out on us, the same spirit was poured out on them. 
And then they said, oh, well, if that's the case, we'll do this together. Can you say amen to that? You see how important the church is in nations where there's division. The church, the church, the answer to the world. You and I, the answer to the world. How? Through the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. Seeing the power of God in us and through us. That's what God wants for us. Some hearts and minds are locked to the realm of the Spirit. He's the key that unlocks the doors. We're using the wrong key to try and open hearts. We mustn't use the what we know key. We must use the who we know key. Many people, many people, lots of people know more than me. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And I know what I don't know. And I do know what I also know. And I don't know what I don't know. So there's a lot of unknown here. But I know this. I know him. And he knows me. And I know that if he empowers me, I can do exploits for him. So I must read the book. I must read the book. I'm not saying don't read the book. You must read the book. Because this helps you, keeps you. Read it, read it, read it. But don't just read the book and get it into your head. It must drop eight inches into your heart. And then it becomes part of you. You start living the word, the word. This is alive. This book, it's, it's living and active. It, it speaks into your heart. This old lady lost her glasses in the family. Old granny. And they found them 23 years later in the family Bible. <laughs> you must read the book. People have got family Bibles and this Bible and that Bible. And they show you all the Bibles. Read the Bible. Don't show me the Bible. Read it. and Get it into you. Make it part of your life. So the Gentiles also receive the Holy Spirit. Christianity is an experiential faith. I don't just believe and nothing happens. I experience God. The living God comes to me. <laughs> I read Psalm, I think it's 93 this morning, about the sea. And the psalmist speaks about the sea roaring and foaming. You go and sit at the wilderness or Herald's Bay or all these lovely places around here, and the sea's calm and it's beautiful and it's peaceful. And when the sun sets, nobody guards the sea. Because the sea's never been stolen. The sea's always the same by way of it's there. If I go to Herald's Bay and look, but some days the sea's wild. And it's huge and waves break and it overturns boats and drama and things. It happens. But the sea is always the sea. But the psalmist is trying to say this morning, God made the sea. And you know, we walked on the beach yesterday and Bob and Barbara, Bob and B, I'm getting used to it, you know. And you walk on the beach. And you know, I can walk here because God said in Job 38, you see this far, no further. <laughs> can you imagine walking on the beach and suddenly it's high tide and you there and then suddenly it's low tide and then, no, no, you, you stay there. This, this, this is how far you come. No further. I've given you a boundary. God gives us boundaries too. But he doesn't want us to be bound. He wants us to be like that. Sometimes we placid and calm. Sometimes we've got to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and speak truth. Sometimes we've got to say it. And people won't like us. 
And Jesus said, well, they're not going to like you because they didn't like me. And we've got to endure that. I want people to like me. But some people don't. And then I've got an old maths teacher who used to say to us, don't make your problems mine. That's my, don't make your problems mine. I've got enough problems. But I want him. I want him who can save and change. I've got some minutes left. In Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Athens. And he, and, he, and he reasons with the Athenians. He speaks to the Athenians. He tries to get people to hear the gospel. And this is what it says. In, uh, where are we starting? Verse 18. Here we are. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus. Just hold the next one. So, He's, he's debating in Athens, all the debaters, all the knowledgeable chaps, all the professors and those who, you know, they, they're knowledgeable, all the teachers of the, whatever they are, these foreign gods. Here comes Paul. In verse 30, 21, it says this, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. You must understand, he's in a city where that's the culture. So he's trying to reason with them in their culture. He's trying to help them understand, listen, man, I've met this, 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 this God who is Jesus Christ. He's come to save. The Messiah has come. I'm trying to tell you. And then it goes on, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And they debate us. We want to hear you again. At that, Paul left the council. So in Athens, he has, he has this, he's, he's a debater. Now, believe me, Paul was a very skilled orator. Paul was flipping amazing. He was taught by the best. Paul was probably the most eloquent guy in his day. He goes to Athens, and at the end of chapter 17, and I haven't got it, so I'll get there myself. Acts chapter 17, this is what it says about what happened after he'd been there. In Athens, he's now debating, sharing, doing his thing, and trying his best to convince these people. Um, and it says, it says, a few men became followers uh, of Paul and believed. Among them were some guy I can't pronounce, and a member of some other thing I can't pronounce, and also a woman named Demaris, and a number of others. So Paul didn't have great success in chapter 17 of Acts in Athens. In chapter 18, Paul goes to Corinth. Now, you, I, know, I know you think, ah, oh, the Corinthian church, Lekamal, that crowd. But Paul never once said to them, don't use the gifts. Paul just said, you're using the gifts out of sync. The, 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 the correction for misuse is not disuse, it's proper use. Don't stop using the gifts. I want to teach you how to use the gifts. But he goes to that church, and this is what he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One to five. This is Paul. Remember, he's just been in Athens. Now he goes to Corinth. He says this. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I'm not making a theology of it, but I think Paul was thinking back to what happened in Athens. 
I, because in Athens it was eloquence and superior wisdom. He says here, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not, might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I think Paul learned something in Athens. Because you see, if I can argue in you into the kingdom, somebody else cleverer than me can argue out. You out of the kingdom. He'll begin to put doubt. You think, hmm, yeah, that other oak, he didn't say that. But if I have an experience of God by the Spirit, and it's not a, you know, it's not an explosion and there's bells and whistles and, you know, confetti and stuff. It's just, I know that I know. I know this, this living God has, has touched my heart. And he saved me. He's rescued me. I've been so wrong for so many years. Or if you're a young person, I've been so wrong for so few years. But you're still wrong. But he comes and rights the wrong. How? By demonstration of his presence in your life. And Paul writes to them and says to them, that's what his... You see, in Athens he was using the what he knew key. He knew it. All the stuff. I remember once I just got saved, and um, this lady came to our church, and um, she wanted to know more about the Lord, and this guy took her to the front, and I was keen to learn, and I went and sat nearby and listened, and all he did was quote scriptures he knew, Romans 3, 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yeah, Romans 6, 23, he just quoted scripture, he, there was no life in it, it was all true, but there was no life, and this lady sat there more bamboozled, than, than when she came. Because he didn't explain the way. He didn't demonstrate the power of God in his life. Because I wonder if he really had it himself. But he'd learned it off by it like a parrot. We're not parrots. We're unique. We, we're, not, we're, not, we, we're individuals. We're not copies. We're not photocopies of something. The Spirit of God changes all that in us. The Christian is... Believing you, God, then I see it. I'm still learning. You've got to love God. There's so much of God to know. I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I see through a glass darkly. And then on the morning, oh, my word. Isn't that amazing? I was reading in, 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 in Revelation. It says, Jesus' face shines like the sun. Now, I speak in tongues. and I didn't have words to describe what I was feeling. I thought, oh, God, that's why you give me this gift. Because I'm so stupid, I can't describe you. You're so amazing. So I use that language, that prayer language. Oh, God, it's amazing. That's the spirit. That's what he wants to come and do. I haven't given you these tears, so you can relax. In Ephesians 3.19, it says this, and I've come into land. That's, that's just the expression we use to keep you awake. Okay? The, the Baptists say, lastly, and then they last. That goes on for another 20 minutes. Ephesians 3.19, in the New Living Translation, this is what it says. May you experience the love of Christ, listen now, though it is too great to understand fully. <laughs> Paul says that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can I know something I can't know? If it goes beyond knowledge, how can I know it? He says to the Philippians, he says, Paul says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
So it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. I understand it how? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. I'm not a scholar Greek-wise. I said in Mossel Bay that I know a little Greek, and he's got a cafe down on the corner near me. His name's Dimitri, and he's a lovely guy. That's, that's how much Greek I know. But I have got a Strong's Concordance. It's a nice, big, thick, red book. And then I look up the word, and I see if it's number so-and-so. Then I go to the back, and if the writing's slanted, it's in the Hebrew. And if it's upright, it's in Greek. And then guys like me, we stand and say, the Greek word. And you say, wow. He knows his stuff. Meanwhile, I've just got a Strong's, and you perhaps haven't or haven't used it for a long time. The Strong's Concordance says this about that verse in Ephesians 3, that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can I know, as I said, something that I, I can't know? To know means to be aware, to feel, to experience, to be sure, to understand. The Greek word is Gnosko, I know, I've experienced this. You know when you were a little child and your dad made a braai, or you little guys, and you braied marshmallows, you remember? And your marshmallow caught a light, and you didn't it out, you tried to put it out, and then you had five little fires on five little fingers, and you learned by experience. You've never done that ever again, try to push your marshmallow out with your finger, because you learn. You experience something. Don't put your fingers in that plug. I'll never do that again because I learn by experience. God wants us to learn by experiencing him, knowing him. That's gnosko. Knowledge, that, that word that surpasses knowledge is, is gnosis. It's got a G in front. You don't pronounce the G because the Greek scholars say, you just say gnosis. This means... Knowledge or science, now listen, what can be stored in the human brain or in the data banks of the human mind. That's knowledge. God wants you to know him so that you can surpass the knowledge. And the surpassing of the knowledge comes from here. I don't care, you can have so many degrees, you can look like a thermometer. You still might not know God. Because your heart is not open. Amen? In order to know, it goes beyond our natural ability. We need God to know. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, and I didn't give you the scripture, I'm sorry, but I'll read it to you. He said this to the disciples. He said, I've much more to say to you. In other words, guys, there is so much that I, I need to tell you. More than you can now bear. Like, I'm at the end now, and you just about, this is more than you can bear now. That's what Jesus, how Jesus was talking to them. I'm nearly at the end of my sermon. He said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now listen to this. He will speak, not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now listen. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. It's beautiful. God has thought of everything. He has thought of everything. The Bible says you, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. And I looked up the Greek word for everything. It says everything. 
Everything you need, He's given it to you. God has given to you. The Holy Spirit will make Jesus so real to us. He will make Jesus known to us. He'll bring glory to Him by taking, by taking from what He's known and making it known to us. So Jesus left, but He left Him. And I've got bad news for young people. If you go into a chacha place, He doesn't stay at the door and picks you up when you come out. He goes in with you. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, Mm, perhaps I can still sneak in here. And then somebody said, no, Brew, God goes with you, China. Right in there. Ooh. And I'm in this place, and I'm embarrassing myself in Jesus. But it's the Spirit of God in me. He never leaves you, and He never forsakes you. Never, ever, ever. That's what that Hebrews 13, 6 says. Never, ever, ever will I leave you. Never, ever, ever will I forsake you. The Spirit of God. So, it can't just be cerebral. It must be experiential. My last scripture. We've landed. Romans chapter 5. That's what we're going to pray for now. Therefore. And when you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to look what it's. Therefore. Therefore. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is just, I want to stand here and read it. I can't read it off. I'm scared to turn my back to people at the end of a sermon. You never know what can happen. <laughs> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so... We also rejoice in our sufferings. If you've got a promise box, I can give you a promise that's not in the promise box. When Paul wrote to Timothy and said, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. You won't find that in a promise box. If you do, on your way out at home and you grab your promise for the morning, you think, oh, not that one, and you take another one. Because you don't want to believe that. No, he said we must rejoice even in ourselves. Not rejoice because you have sufferings. Thank you, God, you've given me, or I've got sufferings. No, every one of us will suffer. But we can thank God in it because God will take us through it. When Uncle Moses stood at the Red Sea, he didn't say, hmm, you're going to have a problem, yeah? Like the little boy came from Sunday school and his mom said, what did you learn? He said, mom, we learned about this guy called Moses. And she said, and he said, mom, and he took this whole group of people like an army and they came to the sea and they couldn't get across so he called the army engineers and they built a bridge over the sea and then they put all the tanks and the trucks and everybody went over to the other side and when they got to the other side the demolition guys ran onto the bridge and they came off and when the enemy came on the bridge they blew it up <laughs> she said my boy are you sure that's what you learned he said mom if I told you the story the way my teacher told it you'd never believe it that's the God we serve. That's the God. He didn't take them around the problem. He took them through the problem because he always makes a way. And when we have struggles, and str God will make a way. God will make a way. Then it says this. We rejoice in the hope and glory. Not only say we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Today, I want God to pour his love into your heart. That's all I want him to do.
Simple. I want you to receive the love of God and feel the presence, the beautiful, beautiful touch of the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says he pours his love into our hearts by the Spirit. Now, it's not a glass half full, half empty, all that. I don't care how full, how empty, how big. Some of you are big men, and you've got to stand for a while. It's like, you know, when you go to the petrol station and you see, yes, the day, just make it a half a tank, bro, because no, God wants you to fill. God wants to fill you because it's free. And the free, the freedom that he brings you is the thing that motivates us to live the life for Jesus. Amen? You ready? <laughs> That's great encouragement. Are you ready? One person. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, let's stand. Let's get off our blessed assurances and we'll pray.